Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and I hope that whatever your faith background or your personal situation, that you'll find something that speaks to you here today. I'm going to be focusing on what it means to be a prophet in the modern times. The world's always in need of a prophetic guidance to lead us through the moral morass in which we often find ourselves. Sometimes, however, we have a problem discerning who is a prophet and who's just seeking to promote promote their own agenda. This week, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr.'s day, and that's what got me thinking about how we recognize a true prophet. Martin Luther King Jr. has been an inspiration for me since I was a kid. In listening to his speeches, I was inspired by his combination of fiery rhetoric and poetic language. I admired and wondered at his courage in confronting deeply rooted racial hatred and bigotry. He even dared to take on unpopular views within the civil rights movement, broadening his criticism to include the injustices of poverty in general and the horrors of the Vietnam War. Unfortunately, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. had only a short time, 39 years, to establish his legacy. The popular song of the day, Abraham, Martin, and John, written in response to the assassinations of King and Bobby Kennedy, placed him in the pantheon of slain young leaders besides Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, and Bobby Kennedy, who championed the cause of racial racial equality. One verse of the song goes, Anybody here seen my old friend Martin? Can you tell me where he's gone? He freed a lot of people, but it seems the good they die young. I just look around, and he's gone. It seemed in those years that every time we looked around, someone we admired, who gave us hope, was gone. Martin Luther King was admired by many, hated by some. But was he a true prophet? I think that exploring that question may provide us some valuable insights about how prophecy worked in the past and its value in the present. In the narrowest sense, we could limit the prophets to a pretty well-defined group of people in the Old Testament, at least from the perspective of Judaism, and the Old and New Testaments for Christians, and a somewhat different expanded list for Islam, including Muhammad. In other words, we could confine the prophets to characters we meet in the sacred scriptures of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and are um, accepted by modern religions. And that's how most of us picture prophets. One person that we often don't think of as a prophet, but who gives us a good insight into the role of the prophet, is Jesus. Was Jesus a prophet? The Jesus we know wears a lot of hats, and he wears them well. At Christmas, we focus on his identity as the Son of God and the light that came into the world. In that same context, we call him the Messiah, the promised one of God, who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. 
Jesus is also characterized as our Savior, the one who came to save us from our sins. In much of what we read in the Bible, Jesus takes the more human roles of teacher, healer, and miracle worker. Yes, Jesus filled a lot of roles. But was he a prophet in any sense of the word? Evidently, Jesus thought of himself as a prophet, but that was a matter of some debate among the people around him. In Mark 6, 1-6, we read, Jesus came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that's been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their own town, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Despite what the crowds thought, Jesus self-identifies as a prophet. He believed that he was not speaking in his own words, but that God was speaking through him. One of the main characteristics of a prophet. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was a prophet and more. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the word incarnate. He writes, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir to all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Here ends the reading. If we look at the work and teachings of Jesus, we can see that he is a prophet, in line with the prophets of the Old Testament. Prophets spoke truth to power. Prophets speak God's truth. They are embodiments of God's will. In that sense, Jesus was the perfect model of the prophet. At one point, Jesus said to a group of his followers, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus' uncompromising commitment to the truth didn't set him free. It got him crucified. His speaking the truth brought him into conflict with the dangerous powers around him, and eventually cost him his life. A prophet is a person who speaks the truth no matter how inconvenient, unpopular, or in the end dangerous. And that's why prophets, including the biblical ones, 
are unpopular in their own times. With this criterion in mind, I'm ready to answer my own question. Was Martin Luther King Jr. a prophet? My answer is a clear yes. Like Jesus and the biblical prophets before him, Martin Luther King Jr. demonstrated an uncompromising commitment to telling the truth, a truth that many people in America were not ready or willing to hear. The truth that he spoke was the promise of justice and equality upon which our nation was founded that had remained unfulfilled for black Americans. Freedom and equality existed only in the dreams of the black minority, and that dream had been deferred too long. As the poet Langston Hughes wrote in his poem Harlem, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun, or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? Maybe things would just go on sadly as they had in the past, but ominously you says that there may come a breaking point and racial hatred would explode. Martin Luther King fashioned his movement after the nonviolent resistance of the model of Mahatma Gandhi in India in the earliest 20th century. He didn't want racial violence to explode. But the followers of King were growing restless. More radical leaders like Medgar Evers and Malcolm X pushed King toward more direct confrontation and opened the possibility of violence. In line with his poem, Langston Hughes said, A dream deferred as a, is a dream denied. King eventually became involved in the violence during the Freedom March from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. A group of sympathetic white pastors from Alabama wrote to King, who was imprisoned in the Birmingham jail uh, following uh, the violence, they wrote this open letter titled, An Appeal for Law and Order and Common Sense. We, the undersigned clergymen, are among those who in January issued an appeal for law and order and common sense in dealing with racial problems in Alabama. We expressed understanding that honest convictions in racial matters could properly be pursued in the courts but urge that decisions of the courts should in the meantime be peacefully observed. Since that time, there has been some evidence of increased forbearance and willingness to face facts. Responsible citizens have undertaken to work on various problems which cause racial friction and unrest. In Birmingham, recent public events have given an indication that we all have the opportunity for a new constructive and realistic approach to racial problems. However, we are now confronted by a series of demonstrations by some of our Negro citizens directed and led in part by outsiders. We recognize the natural impatience of people who feel their hopes are being slowly realized, but we are convinced that these demonstrations 
are unwise and untimely. We agree rather with a certain local Negro leadership, which has called for honest and open negotiation of racial issues in our area. And we believe this kind of facing of issues can best be accomplished by citizens of our own metropolitan area, white and Negro, meeting with their knowledge and experience of local situation. King countered in his letter, sitting in the Birmingham jail, My friends, I must say to you that we've not made a single gain in civil rights without legal and nonviolent pressure. History is the long and tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. Individuals may see the moral light and give up their unjust posture, but as Reinhold Niebuhr has reminded us, groups are more immoral than individuals. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntary given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I've yet to gauge in a direct action movement that was well-timed, according to the timetable of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now I've heard the word, wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. It has been a tranquilizing thalidomide, relieving the emotional stress for a moment, only to give birth to an ill-formed infant of frustration. We must come to see, with the distinguished jurists of yesterday, that justice too long delayed is justice denied. On a personal note, I remember well the day that my brother Bill, who was 17 years my senior, came home on the bus after marching with King in Alabama. I can see the anger flaring in my uncle's eyes as he got off the bus because Bill had, in his words, been sticking his nose where it didn't belong and stirring up trouble. The two of them, who had been very close, didn't speak to one another for at least ten years. The prophetic actions of King not only drew down criticism on him, they exposed fractures in the social and family structures of America. It exposed fractures in my own family. Such is the effect of the voice of the prophet. Jesus said in Luke 12, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish that it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it's completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother-in-law, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And I could add to that long list, uncle against nephew. 
When the prophet speaks the truth, people get nervous. People get angry. We get nervous. We get angry. In real time, our narrow personal interests are threatened. We'd rather keep things the way they are. But the real prophet speaks of larger truths that defy easy political identification. And the greatest truth that they speak is ultimately the truth of love and compassion and justice. While I imagine some people still hold on to residual animus toward Dr. King, for the most part, history has judged him kindly. His personal flaws, just like those of Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, and Bobby Kennedy, have largely been papered over by the passage of time. In the end, the discernment of who is a prophet and who is not can be determined only in retrospect. My personal pronouncement of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as a prophet is really a safe and easy one to make in the light of how history views him. What is more important, however, is seeking to discern who are the living prophets in our midst. There may be religious or political or even celebrity leaders whose voices seem too strident and their actions too extreme who will in 10 or 20 years or 50 years be celebrated as true prophets, even though now we would want to say, slow down. We're just too close to them and to our own personal interests to keep us from seeing the big picture of God's love in what they say and what they do. If you listen closely, King's words often resembled and echoed the words of the biblical prophets, such is the case of these words spoken in his I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. So let us open our ears and our hearts to the words of the prophets ringing around us. Prophets old, prophets new. May we echo their prophetic words with our own fragile voices. May we continue to pray that the dream may no longer be deferred and that justice may no longer be denied. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless us all. May God's face shine down upon our nation. And God, may God unite us in peace.